Hey, it's Zach, and I wanted to tell you about our newest podcast, Swagoo and Perk. Oh, boy. Led by its namesake host, former NFL veteran and analyst Marcus Spears. He's Swagoo, obviously. And NBA champion and analyst Kendrick Perkins, who yells at me all the time. With new episodes every Tuesday morning, Swagoo and Perk will bring listeners the latest NBA and NFL news as well as look inside their lives with can't-miss conversations. That's Swagoo and Perk. I'm going to tell you editorially, you will not stop laughing throughout the whole episode. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a rainy, disgusting Tuesday afternoon or late morning on the East Coast where it's time to bounce around the Eastern Conference. We're about a week into the season. I did a lot of the West teams last week. Let's bounce around the East and no better person to do that than our Eastern Conference correspondent who is in New York City for a very Eastern Conference game tonight between the 2-1 and one New York Knicks who don't get to play the Orlando Magic and their nine centers <laughs> every single night and the 2-1 and one Philadelphia 76ers who don't get to play god-awful teams every single night like the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Pelicans without Zion Williams. And so they have a titanic clash in MSG tonight. The Simmons soap opera rolls in. Are you excited to see Mr. Simmons in person, Tim? You've probably seen him in person a few times already, just sort of hanging around, phones falling out of all of his pockets, various inappropriate clothes on for practice. So what, what are you? What's he going to do tonight? I mean, I think he's going to be watching at home. I think. Uh, I mean, if he, I think if he's in MSG, it'll be a big story. So uh, we'll see. But, um, but yeah, excited to talk about the East. Uh, we talked before the season about how excited, or at least I said how excited I was about the Eastern Conference. There's a lot to talk about. It's not the, uh, it's not your dad's Eastern Conference. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, up and down the standings, it's it's early. Let's say it's early. Cleveland two and two. Couldn't be, couldn't possibly be more excited about Evan Mobley. I, my Evan Mobley excitement meter is beyond 10. And I, I actually have to watch and calm, I have to calm myself down a little bit about Evan Mobley. I, as someone who just watched Cav Nuggets, Cavs Nuggets this morning, I think you'll be more excited. Uh, he's good. He's really good. For them to beat the Hawks and Nuggets back to back games, I mean, listen, the, the, the Cavs probably won't have two better wins in that in a row this season, but they're, they're, they got to feel pretty good about two and two. That's bulletin right board material right there for my fighting Cleveland Cavaliers, Tim Bontemps. I mean, sure. Sure. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets, who we're going to talk a lot about, are just incapable of playing a boring game. Just incapable. Yep. They, they, It's just impossible. They're going to overtime. They're at comebacks. It's, it's madness every night. But we have to start. With the four and oh, boom, 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 boom. First time in 24 years, the Chicago Bulls are four and oh. Your Chicago Bulls are four and oh. They're hanging banners. Stacey King is giving everyone the hot sauce. Lots it's of sriracha. exciting times in Chicago. They have beaten the New Orleans Pelicans without Zion, who stink. The Detroit Pistons, uh, who stink with or without, without Jeremy Grant. Well, and they also don't have Cade Cunningham either for either of those and, games. And you got to remember that, too. Um, and last night they went up to Toronto and survived a near fall from a head catastrophe loss to a Raptors team that is as bad offensively as some of us expected and as interesting defensively as some of us hoped. Mr. Bontemps, the And Bulls. doesn't have Pascal Siakam also. Another another key Why, player missing. Don't, don't ruin my Alan Parsons project vibe, okay? <laughs> don't ruin it for me. The Bulls are 4-0. and They are 13th in offense. It's not great. Fifth in defense, looking like a juggernaut, looking like a juggernaut on defense. Hands on balls. That doesn't sound good, but you know what I mean. Hands in passing lanes all over the place. Their starting five is plus 16 and 54 minutes. Their second most used lineup is what a lot of us suspected would be their closing lineup with uh, Caruso in place of Pat Williams. And so sliding DeRozan to the four plus 17 and 23 minutes. Tim Bontemps, do you believe... In the Chicago Bulls. I I don't I can't take a single thing away from these four games, to be honest. Uh they've they've done a good job in beating games. They should they're winning games they should have won, which is good. And they survived this early stretch, which is good. But I was looking it up right now. Here are their next twelve games after oh, these it's horrible get, it's games. Get, it's getting spicy. So they play they host the Knicks, they host the Jazz, they they then go to Boston, they play two games with Philly. Then they play Brooklyn. Then they play Dallas. Then they play Golden State. Then they play the Clippers and Lakers. Then they play Portland. Then they play Denver. Then they play the Knicks again. So that's 12 games against playoff teams. 
I'm going to check in with the Bulls at that point. Be twenty exactly sixteen games in the season, twenty percent of the season. If they can go five hundred in those twelve games or better, then I think you know as Trey Kirby likes to say, the Bulls are back in some form, and they're going to be pretty good. And I think if they're less than that. I think it will still be open to debate, maybe closer to where I thought they were going to be coming into the season where I had some real questions about them. But I do think the one thing you pointed out that I think is important to note is that I have been really encouraged that Billy Donovan has gone to what I think is his best lineup late in these games and doesn't have Pat Williams on the court, who I think is a lot more theoretical than actual at the moment, and has Alex Caruso out there, who the Lakers sure look like they miss, A, and B, has been an awesome fit with, with Lonzo Ball um, wreaking havoc on defense on a team that does not have a lot of defensive players. So they've they've done what they should have so far, but the real the real challenge has come starting Thursday against the Knicks, and I, I'm really interested to watch those games to see how they look. So Pat Williams has taken 18 shots in four games. His usage yes. rate is 8.6, which is yes. like I might be able to. If you put me in an NBA game, I would exceed eight. I would make sure <laughs> that they would all be turnovers and air yes. balls. But you I have would a higher have higher usage than that. Yes. I would have, but I will say, I I'm betting in four months, Pat Williams is going to be more involved than he is today, maybe by a large margin because every game, first of all, he looks comfortable in year two, and it's not just the body type. He looks comfortable. He looks like he knows his place. He knows how to play his role. Last night in the second half of that game in Toronto, he caught a pass in the right corner. Pumped Scotty Barnes, I think. Oh, I, Scotty Barnes is second on my rookie excitement meter right now behind Evan Mobley. They're having a contest about who can break my rookie excitement meter. Pump, drive instantly, like one dribble, bullet corner pass to the opposite corner for somebody to hit a three. He just yep. sees the floor. He makes plays. He has a smooth mid-range game. Defensively, he's not quite as solid as you think given his body type, but he's going to get there. I'll bet in three or four months he's going to settle in. But I've taken some things away from this 4-0 start. Can I tell you something? I'm not going to poo-poo it totally. Can I take a couple of things Yeah, away? go for it. Let's hear it. Number one, Lonzo looks incredible. And he looks great, too. Yes, that's the other thing I would say. He, every time I've turned the Bulls on these first four games, he's making a three. I mean, he's shooting, I think, 43% from three on seven attempts a game. He's been really, really, really good. So and far. he's starting to have a little more gravity now than he used to. Like, you'll still see, like, Toronto was sloughing away from him and to contain Levine late in the game last night. But teams aren't, like, ducking screens on him anymore as much as they used to. They're not ignoring him as much as they used to. But more than that, it's the volume and the accuracy fine. That'll come and go. Like, some nights he'll shoot 2 of 10, whatever. Um, There is – I've always said this about Lonzo. There is something about the way he plays that gets into a team's bloodstream if it's allowed to flourish enough. And you can already see it getting into the Bulls' bloodstream. So last night, uh, Lonzo had the ball up top. They're on the wing, I think. And and Pat Williams was curling around a Vooch screen at the top of the three-point arc. So really, really high on the floor. The intent was to hit him for like a little curl around, pop out pass, continue the offense. DeRozan in one corner. I think Troy Brown Jr. in the other corner. Frisky start for Troy Brown. The whole bench for the Bulls has been very frisky. Pat Williams back cut that play. Instead of curling around, he back cut right down the gut, and Lonzo hit him with a bullet. Fourth quarter, Levine in the right corner. Lonzo is dribbling towards him for a dribble handoff. Levine takes one step towards Lonzo for the handoff, and then bolts to the rim. Lonzo hits him. Dunk, foul. Uh, he missed a dunk, but he was fouled. Like, those cutting plays that they're getting, those are Lonzo plays. Like, Lonzo's getting into the bloodstream of their team a little bit. Like I said, their offense is 13th. They're last in three-point shooting attempts. They have some kinks to work out in terms of who gets to touch the ball when and what's the spacing like. But you can see little burblings of something going on there. Can you not? Am I being a little rose? Am I wearing the Ted Lasso rose-colored Ray-Bans? No, listen, I, Lonzo's been really good, and I think the Lonzo-Caruso pairing has been dynamite. And I, I think those are the two things I would take away. I think otherwise, like, I can't I can't take anything away from their defense against these god-awful teams that can't score. Like, you know, the Raptors, especially without Pascal, are just running in mud on offense most of the time. And the Pistons, I watched that first, that first game, the Bulls-Pistons game. That was some of the worst offense I've ever seen. 
Uh, it was dreadful in the fourth quarter of that game. And they've so, already gotten better, cleaner, and crisper since then. I watched that well, game I was too, talking, it, it was ugly. I was, talking, I was talking about Detroit. Well, Detroit's going to be ugly offensively every know, game. That's just yes. what it's going to be. Yes. No, I know. And look, the, the Bulls are going to score. I'm not worried about that. The other end is where I think they could have problems. But they, like, we just have, I just have no way of knowing really um, what's come out of these games. And look, like you said, the, the Magic just came into MSG and won a game here this weekend. The Cavs just won games against good teams. Um, you know, like slipping up and losing to bad teams. Uh, if you're a team like Chicago that wants to get into the top six and not be in the play in tournament, right? These are important wins. Like I'm not diminishing them winning games. They should win. But in terms of really having a good feel for what they look like, like I said, 20% of the way into the season after this 12 game stretch, I think I'm going to, we're going to have a really good sense of where the bulls are. And right now, really other than like Lonzo to me is the one thing that really stands out. He's been really good. And like you said, he does have an impact. Like I covered him a little bit at UCLA. He did the same stuff there. His brother has done some of the same stuff in Charlotte. When you have a guy that's getting the ball to people like that, it makes guys move around and do stuff. And I do think that's noticeable. But to me, the questions about this team are only going to get answered when they start to play real teams that can actually test them on defense, which so far they have not really had anything, uh, any sort of challenge, I should say, at that end of the court. Yeah, I'm not buying the Bulls as a top 10 defense, although, you know, the Bulls, if the Bulls are a top. Well, if the Bulls are a top five or 10 defense this year, then they're going to win a ton of games. And I'm going to be very wrong about the Bulls. Yeah, their I fans will say, well, they finished they finished the season strong last year defensively with Vooch there, et cetera. So I just, I'm not buying it. That closing lineup I mentioned, like, it, to have Levine and DeRozan at the three and the four basically is just so small and defensively challenged that they put Lonzo Ball last night on Toronto's four, OG Ananobi. Like, they, they have no one in that lineup who can really guard a dynamic big wing now there aren't a ton of those but still and on the flip side like there are very few teams who have two dynamic defenders to guard Levine and DeRozan right and and so I think you know Vooch and Pat Williams and Pat Williams right now is not a guy that can guard those kind of guys in those moments anyway like Caruso should be out there guarding people but it does to your point bring up other challenges namely that it makes them very small um and Vooch we know is is a minus on defense. Like I don't, I don't think this team is going to be this nearly this good defensively again when the competition kicks in. I think that's the end that will fall off a little bit and and put them back where some of us thought they would be. Offensively, though, I think they're going to continue to get better and better. I think this For will sure. be a top ten offense at at the end of the year. And one of the things I like about it, it's it's a little early to measure this, but when they have their the DeRozan, Levine, Vucevic, Lonzo on the floor, it feels like. The three number, the three sort of co-number one options, right? Like Levine is the number one option, but then after that, DeRozan and Vucevic. It seems like those are all guys who had sky-high usage rates on blah teams for a long time. And together, you know, we joked that the Bulls are team floor raiser, right? These are the t- these are this is team floor raiser. They've gotten all the great floor raisers on one team. Well, yep. one one sort of downstream effect of that is I think all their usage rates are going to drop when they're all together, when they're all on the floor together, are going to drop to the appropriate water level where neither one of them is doing the ultra heavy lifting that was the marker of them playing on a bad team. There, It just yes. feels like they're all going to reach the right equilibrium of usage, including in crunch time when it was just all Levine all the time. And now DeRozan hit one of the daggers last night. I, just, I think yep. offensively this group will settle in if... The bench still makes me nervous. I, I know Javante Green's flying around. Alize Johnson's doing stuff. Javante, Pat- Javante Green's a decent player. He he's, I, he's fine. I always thought he should have played a little more in Boston. Every time he was on the court, like decent things happen. He's super athletic. He can really guard people. Again, he's another guy with a bit of a questionable shot, but they need people who can guard guys, and Javante can do that. So I, I think he's a decent fit. But, yeah, look, the, the, defense, the defense overall is an issue. The bench is an issue. I mean, part of the reason that I didn't like the DeRozan deal is that they lost that young in that deal who would have been an ideal fit as a bigger forward who could guard people out there in some of those lineups. But, you know, look, the offensive fit I always thought was going to be good. And to your point, like those four guys on offense fit together really well. Like if you have DeMar with the ball late in the game, guy who doesn't turn the ball over, gets to the line a lot makes pretty good decisions, can get himself a, a clean 16-footer whenever he wants, like one of the biggest shots of the game. I think he was ISOed against uh, Gary Trent a couple minutes to go. He just walked himself into a 16-foot elbow jumper and nailed it like he has for whatever, 10 years now or 12 years, however long he's been in the league at this point. Um, so, yeah, offensively, they're going to be good. That's never been a question to me. It's just 
how much can they stop people at the other end? And, you know, like I said, we'll find out a lot more over the next month. I'm, I'm going to be watching them as much as probably any team in the league to see what they look like. And, and Billy Donovan has already settled on some fun, on some good, I think, rotation things. They're going to stagger Levine and DeRozan. So one of them was almost always out there, yep. um, sometimes by themselves with, with four reserves. Levine and Vucevic are sort of tethered at the hip for a lot of minutes because they have a nice two-man game. Yep. Now the shooting around it isn't great, but they're, they're making it work. Again, Alize Johnson has been passing the hell out of it on the pick and roll. Troy, I've always been a Troy Brown Jr. truther. I'm a Troy Brown. So like, I'm not shocked that he's playing well, but I, he's playing a little over his head. I, I had the Bulls in the seven in my tiers. I had them in a tier with the Knicks and the Hornets at sort of seven, eight, nine, biggest threat to crack the play in in the East. Yeah, um, I think that's probably the median outcome for them. And I and I said they have the highest ceiling among those teams. Like I think their ceiling is higher than people are giving them credit for. Like their ceiling, I do think is four or five. I, I didn't think they would hit that ceiling, but they do have that kind of ceiling. We'll see. Again, it's early. But uh, I, I think maybe they're even going to be a little bit better than, than I thought. Um, we'll, we'll see. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part, each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Can we move on to the Charlotte Hornets? Absolutely. It's your pod, sir. Three and one with the number three offense in the NBA and a somewhat average-ish defense just as entertaining as all hell as we hoped they would be. Miles Bridges, who began to make the leap last year. If you were paying attention, you saw some frist, some some Miles Bridges stuff happening. I don't necessarily think I saw like 30-point games on the regular happening. Uh, I liked this team more than most going into the season. I was higher on them. Like I said, I had them in that tier with the, the Knicks and the Bulls. Um, I don't quite know what to make of them so far. Um, they're They're... they're Certainly interesting. Um, their offense being this good is is interesting. Their defense is keeping guys away from the rim. I'm not really sure how they're doing that. They're not allowing a lot of shots at the rim. They're allowing a ton of threes. Um, they haven't had Terry Rozier for all but one game uh, of their three and one start. I think they still don't have a backup center, and it doesn't matter because PJ Washington it turns out is a great backup center, and they're killing people with PJ Washington at center, like yep. the, the by tons and tons of points. What have you noticed so far about about the running, gunning bugs? Miles Bridges has taken a leap, and Lamella Ball is awesome. That's that's really the whole story of their team. You know, Miles Bridges looks like a different player this year. Like you said, he started to do some of that last year. He looks a lot better this year. His synergy with Lamella from the moment he got there has been ridiculous. Uh, with his athleticism, he's a perfect fit for him. Uh, running the court, but really, to me, this is all just about Lamelo Ball. I mean, he is just a unbelievably special talent, especially on offense. Like there, there was a sequence in that Boston game where he's isolated with Marcus Smart, arguably the best man-to-man defender in the league, certainly in the conversation. Completely dusts Marcus Smart, breaks his ankles, hits a step back three, comes back down the other end. They get a stop. He catches the ball under the basket, stands there for about three seconds, and then throws a football pass eighty-five feet to Gordon Hayward, who catches it and lays the ball in on, on the run. I mean, it's just like nobody in the league can make a play like that but him. And it's just, he just does, he's just a spectacular guy to watch. And and I got to be honest, I was watching that game last night. It was a great game, went to overtime. I think if P.J. Washington and Terry Rozier had played, you know, the, the the Hornets very well may win that game, probably do. Um, so I certainly think your tiers ranking is accurate. But I was watching that game thinking, can you imagine 
what LaMelo Ball would have looked like playing with Steph Curry. And Ooh. I, I just Ooh, knife to the heart in the bay. I've just thought about it a lot ever since they drafted him. Like, and a scout even made a comment to me the other day. Like, you look at guys like LaMelo and Josh Giddy, who I think that the Warriors had a lot of interest in at seven, and he didn't get there. He went to Oklahoma City. Those kind of guys are better fits with the way Steve Kerr wants to play than guys like James Wiseman and Jonathan Kuminga. And it's just, it would it would be interesting to see where Golden State was if they, say, had those two guys on their team, or even just LaMelo. But, like, you know, the, the, the benefit of it on the other side is that the Hornets have become one of the most fun teams to watch in the league. Um, and, you know, they're just, they have a team that's really well built to fit with him. Gordon Hayward, when healthy, is a great complimentary player to LaMelo, can do a lot of different stuff with the ball, can be a guy they can go to late in games. Um, yeah, they're just super fun. And and I, I'm with you in that I think they're, they've got a pretty high ceiling. And entertainment-wise, they're just off the charts to watch every night. They're super fun. Gordon Hayward's good. Like Gordon Hayward he, is very good. Like, People that kept asking me last season – hey, what's going on with the Celtics? Why aren't the Celtics that good? And my answer was always the same. They had a borderline all-star player who they replaced with Romeo Langford and Aaron Neesmith. Like, that's why their team was not nearly as good last year as it was year I'm before. Un- I'm unreasonably high on Aaron Neesmith. Whenever he gets a DNP ne- CD, like listen, the last two games, I get very cranky. I'm like, give me some yeah, Aaron Neesmith. Enough, enough with this. Be, he's got a chance to be a decent rotation player. But Gordon Hayward's really, really good player. And like, yeah, the Celtics losing him for nothing is a big reason why they finished seventh in the East last year. Like, it's not rocket science. And he's he's really good. Look, Hayward doesn't have the athleticism and burst that he did before his injury. And again, his injury, when his leg snapped in Cleveland on opening night. I'll never forget it. I was at the game. I was looking down at it when it happened. I will never, I will never forget it. I was, I was in Los Angeles watching on my laptop, waiting to go to a, uh, a late night episode, a live episode of the Rewatchables podcast with oh, Chase wow. Serrano and Bill Simmons and Chris Ryan talking about face off, I think. And of course, I got there and Bill was in mourning over the Gordon Hayward injury. That's a great it's a huge what if moment in the probably last the five biggest, to six probably years. The, yeah, probably the biggest one. I mean, but, you think about but, that Celtics team, Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Al Horford. It's pretty good starting five. But he's still, he's still a good player. He's a very smart player. He does a little bit of everything on both ends of the floor. He's big enough to guard fours and switch across a lot of positions on defense, which is going to be yep. critical for a group that's going to play small a lot. And more than that, he's just he's one of those guys that's a connector on offense. Like He's not a spectacular initiator of possessions anymore. Like A lot of Gordon Hayward pick and rolls are going to go into 20-foot jumpers for him when he shoots, right? He's not a great finisher. I thought last year he went through periods of time where he was like a really almost alarmingly tentative finisher. But in between successful possessions, in the middle of successful possessions, there is very often a Gordon Hayward catching the ball on the move and doing something smart with it. And, oh, by the way, he's going to shoot 38 to 40% from three every yeah. season on decent volume and may and be in the right place at the right time all the time. He's just one of those guys that your team is better when he's on the floor. And, and you put LaMelo, Rogier, Oubre, Bridges, Washington, you know, whatever other combinations you want to throw out. Like, they have a lot of good perimeter talent with size and length. To me, the litmus test is going to be their defense. They're 21st right now. It's just so hit or miss. And it's just, you just feel, like, it reminds me of, remember, the, the you're, you're, a, you're a Buffalo Bills fan, probably. But you're too young to remember the bend but don't break defense of, like, that's what they used to call the Bills of, like, the oh, Jim no, Kelly. Or I, they had the, I, no, that was my childhood. I was... Seven to ten when they went to the Super Bowl every year. That was that was what I grew up with. Absolutely. And you you always wondered like when is it going to fall apart? Like how yeah. are they not hemorrhaging points every game? That's how yeah. it is with the Hornets. And and part of it is there are nights when their perimeter defense is dialed in and they don't get blown by as easily. And then there are other nights where you're like, man, that guy got blown by, that guy got blown by, and they just can't afford nights like that. But I just. I just feel That's like part of I why they're this. fun to watch because every game is one thirty to one twenty five. Yeah, and Miles Bridges is is a could kill a person at any moment <laughs> on the floor. Yes, yes. Um, but I just I said this before the season. I just smell something with these guys. I smell a I smell, and all that means is I smell like a five hundred ish or maybe a little bit better season. And I think their win against the Nets in Brooklyn, who we're going to talk about in a second the other night, is sort of. 
indicative of what of, of the kind of regular season they, they can be. I had a, yeah. a a front office guy on a on a good Eastern Conference team tell me before the season, "You watch the older teams, the veteran teams are going to absolutely hate playing against Charlotte because it's oh, going to yeah. be your your second your second of a back to back, third and fourth, and they're going to become running around. Lamelo's going to be throwing the ball. Miles Bridges is going to be running for the hoops, and all our and old guys are going to be like, oh. And guess what? That game against the Nets was when? Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock. Right? Well, they're not go. a team you want to play on a Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock because they're going to try to – they're sprinting down the court all the time. And it's, you know, like I said, I mean, there are a few better – There's a few, there are a few better fitting combinations in the league than LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges, just stylistically. Like, just, you know, with Miles' athletic ability and LaMelo's passing ability, it's just – it's ridiculous to watch. Can you explain to me again why this is? I meant to bring this up in the Bulls section, but the Hornets are connected to this. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't understand, and will never understand why the Pelicans and David Griffin were just like, yeah, we don't. I just don't want Lonzo Ball. Like on an affordable contract, like I'd rather have Devontae Graham, who's too it short. Remain, and it remains a very mysterious thing. It's completely for inexplicable. Of, for all Thomas Sadaransky, Sadaransky's not even playing. He's playing like all, garbage time. For, for all of last season, the Pelicans were trying to trade Lonzo Ball, and it never made a lot of sense ever. I kept saying, "Why? Why are you trading a guy who gets along with your best player and plays defense and can shoot the ball and like is a fit with your team?" I, I never understood it. So this is definitely a win for Chicago. It's just completely in it. Well, we'll see what we'll see how much of a win it ends up being for Chicago. I suppose uh, that's true. Um, I suppose but that's true. It, it's just totally inexplicable to me. And um, anyway, I like, on the court anyway, uh, here are some can, now that we're we've sort of meandered into the Western Conference briefly talking about the Pelicans who got a much needed win last night in Minnesota like that. I, I said on Friday when the Pelicans were 0-1, 0-1, that's it. I said we're at DEFCON 2 already in New Orleans. We're not quite at DEFCON 1. DEFCON 1 is the worst, Tim. Remember, there, it goes oh, the, the lower numbers are global th- thermonuclear war. They're they easily they easily got a shot to be two and nine in a couple of weeks with this schedule they've got coming up without Zion. It it could get it could get late there really fast. And if they had lost that game last night, I think we would have elevated it to DEFCON one. I think we were about and that so now we're sticking at DEFCON two, be on high alert for the Pelicans. Okay, be on high alert. But I don't it's, think it's, it's getting much better. Sorry, Pelicans fans. Couple of Western Conference things now that we've dipped our toe in. Are you ready? Let's People are tired of hearing me yell and scream about this. Tired. The okay. People are tired of me saying, if the Lakers are going to do anything serious this year, Russell Westbrook is going to have to set some ball screens for LeBron James. Like, yep. it's not rocket science. If I know it, Frank Vogel knows it. Rob Polinka knows it. LeBron James knows it. Russell Westbrook yep. knows it. Anthony Davis knows it. The Lakers guy knows it. Jeannie Buss <laughs> knows it. Linda Rambis knows it. Everybody knows it. Denzel yep. knows it. Yeah. Russell Westbrook set seven ball screens in their win over Memphis the other day. Do you know what Russell's career Russell Westbrook's career high for ball screens in a game is? Uh, it's sixty something. Oh, in a game. No, in a I game. You're going to say season. I remembered it from your pod with Dave. I don't. I would guess it's seven. Seven. There you go. Did it one other time, and then the next highest is five. So I don't want to hear any like yelling and screaming at me because I'm right. Russell Westbrook is going to have to set ball screens for LeBron James. That's the only way they're going to be able to make this work. I'm not saying 50 or 30 or 20 a game. It's got to be part of part of the part of the uh, part of the arsenal. Uh, second, you want to hear a second Western Conference a little factoid hot take? Can I say something about the Lakers first? Of course. Uh, LeBron James. It's three games. LeBron James looks pretty old, and we'll see if that changes. But the play. I was uh, the play that stood out to me from that. There's three minutes to go in the first quarter. LeBron was isolated at the top of the key against Kyle Anderson and drove to his right. And Kyle Anderson blocked his shot and then grabbed the ball and threw it down court for a dunk. I did not think I would ever see that. And I got some numbers from our guy, Matt Williams in SIG because I was watching the game. So through three games, again, it's only three games. LeBron's drive blow by percentage on drives, like getting by guys and getting to the rim is 9.4%. And for a season, it's never been below 17, and last year was 21%. So I don't know if it's indifference or frustration or 
he's struggling to get by guys or what, but that's something to monitor to me is he's shooting a lot of threes, more threes than ever. And he's struggling to make twos. He's six. Hasn't for Hasn't been to the line much. Hasn't got the line at all. He's six for 19 from two, the last two games. So that Russell Westbrook, you're hundred percent right on Westbrook. That, I mean, that situation is probably not going to end well as a lot of us probably could have guessed and did guess before the season started. But if LeBron's got to be to me back to where he was at least last year, if they want to get where they want to go, because if he's going to be struggling to get to the rim on a regular basis, then, you know, they've got a lot of problems. I've reached the point with LeBron where I'm going to have faith until he retires, basically. Well, like, and, gonna, and listen, I'm, he's still awesome. Like every game, I mean, he's nailing threes left and right now, right? So it's, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but every year you've seen him struggle a little bit more and more to get to the rim. And that that's the thing that I'm just, I just watch with him to see where he's getting his shots. I think he had seven shots in the restricted area in Sunday's game, which was good. Um, but, you know, I'm just, just keeping an eye on that. Slightly harder monitor. to get to the rim when DeAndre Jordan, DeAndre Jordan's man, Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook's oh, man, Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis. I mean, that's man are the other part of it. Just hanging out in the paint, that's, like, hey, what's up? Come on that's, in. That's the Let's other part. Let's have a tea it, party. Man. That's the other part of it. I mean, we. I mean, it's stuff you've all said on your pod before, but like, they have Anthony Davis and LeBron James. It shouldn't be that hard to build a team around them that makes sense. And they just continually are doing, uh, just continually doing things that run counter to what you, what I would think you should do with that, but. My I? other Western Conference hot take. You ready? I'm ready. The Thunder are going to flirt with nine and seventy-three. Uh, I think that's. So, I think that's. I think that's possible. They are so bad. They're very like, terrible. We we all knew they were bad, and then and, jo- and Josh Giddy looks good. By the way, on Josh Giddy had a, a fantastic game against Philly the other day. Yeah, like nineteen nine and six looked comfortable. His hair was yeah. look immaculate, flopping around. <laughs> Shea was amazing. And then it's like Derek Favors. So they've decided, like, Derek, we got Derek Favors. He's our highest paid player, a veteran, started, like a competent veteran player. He'll play eight minutes a game. He'll, like, play 10 minutes a game. That's it. Like, Poku, nothing. They just, they're so bad. They're, they're so bad. bad. Who, what free agents have they signed, by the way, in the last three years? I, I should have uh, looked this up. Like, have they signed? Like, they remember signed, everyone? They signed Mike Muscala. I think that's the one guy. I think everybody else they've either drafted or traded for. Mike Muscala was on some of those like Sixers process teams, right? Mike Muscala was traded for Avika Zubac. In I one know. Of the I truly feel like, baffling trades in recent memory. Clippers, I, Clippers, Lakers trade. I feel like you're like Mike Muscala is is like the totem in the Brady Bunch Hawaii episode where it just ruins <laughs> your life if you have it in your house. So I don't remember the exact plot, but like a tarantula was involved or something. I just like I'd stay I'd be a stay away from Mike Muscala. I just feel like it's a bad sign if he's on your team. They're yeah. so like I I love basketball. It's my job. I love watching basketball. If I see Darius Baisley miss like seventeen more three pointers <laughs> in a row. I just I can't watch it anymore. They're absolutely horrible. I think they're going to flirt with nine and seventy three. I, I think it's I think and and partly because the whole league is trying to win. They're yes. not now. There are very Orlando, few teams that aren't trying to win. They're Orlando's one. not. You only get two shots against them. Detroit's not. You only get two shots against them. Both Detroit those teams is, are better than Detroit, the Thunder. I think Detroit is trying. I just don't think they're very. No, good. they're not. Um, uh, Houston's not, and Houston already beat the Thunder by 30 points. So right. you got two or three more shots against them. But that's that's it. That's it. I, I, There's I, no I other just, teams that are trying to lose. I think it snuck up on me just how bad the roster is, and I know it's designed to be bad. Like it's not surprising. It's not like this is breaking news. But it's I just I think nine and seventy three flirtation, just a little flirtation, a little inappropriate text. To the nine and seventy three teams is it is in play? How uh, are you up? Text to the nine and seventy three teams is in play. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a ten minute course session at the end of your strength class, or take a sixty minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay, full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes 
Hashtag vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. Let's go back to the East. You wanted to talk about one, the Celtics. One more, one more brief hot take, just because we talked about the Lakers. Uh, John Morant's going to be an All Star this year. That's not. That's not even. That's not even. I mean, I think. I think it's a hot take. I think it's a hot take to declare he's definitely going to be an All Star. I think he's got a chance to be an All NBA player also this year, which is probably an actual hot take. But he I love John, he looks I love John he Morant. looks incredible so I far. Love John Morant. He's again. He's one of those guys. Because he's selfless. For a young scoring guard, he's selfless. He works off the ball. He's a good cutter. He'll do give and goes. He'll let Jaron Jackson cook. He'll let Dylan Brooks take 15, who hasn't played yet this season, take 15 shots with his foot on the line as if they're worth five. I think Dylan Brooks thinks the foot on the line jumper is worth five. Um, and, and, and he plays with such fearlessness. It's amazing. He, he, I, I really believe that a guy like that trying to dunk on everybody – just absolutely fear you knock him down he gets back up i think it imbues the whole team with a certain spirit of like yeah we can do this like what on paper you think we're ninth in the west we don't care we think we're better than that we think we're gonna absolutely. go to the clippers beat the clippers going to la almost beat the i i just love i think that's a great take i love it i'm all in on john morant all-star i um, liked him more than zion going into the draft i guess two and a half years ago now and uh you know it's early but I feel good about that one. Well, I know this. The next time I hear a timetable for Zion Williamson's return, I'm not going to believe it. <laughs> like, I, I, like yes. when is he going to play? I, I don't know. When is he going to play? Is he going to be in shape when he plays? Is he going to guard anybody when he plays? Like, I love Zion. Zion is like Lawrence Taylor mixed with Shaq. There's just nothing you can do uh, against him getting to the rim. He's a good passer. Give me point Zion. Give me center Zion. Give me post-up Zion. Give me all the Zions. Just give me a Zion. I just want to yes. see him play. And I want to see him play and not look like Amen he's out of shape. That. Yes, amen to that. All right, back to the East. You wanted to talk about the Celtics, who are 2-2 two and two after a barn burner in uh, Charlotte. Um, yes. Last night, they beat the Rockets in a closer-than-it-should-have-been game the other night. They are 18th in offense, 22nd in defense, have had a bunch of guys already in and out of the lineup. Jalen Brown missed a game. Horford missed a game. Uh, other people who are forgetting missed a game. Um, what? What? I, I, they're a team. There's always a team that's like 10 games in. I'm just like, I've seen them a bunch. I have no idea. I feel like the Celtics are going to be that team. Tell me what I should think about the Celtics. I, I don't know. You're you're giving Dan a lot of work on this pod all of a sudden. Yeah, I was hoping you would have some thoughts on them because I just am not really sure what to make of them. I went back and forth in the preseason from being kind of down on them to being bullish on them to being down on them to being bullish on them, and I'm still not really sure where to be. I, I think they're going to be a really, really good defensive team when they have everybody ready and healthy. Um, you know, you wrote about Robert Williams and in your intriguing players piece, and he is really intriguing. Um, you know, you no, see him nobody some- trusts nobody trusts Robert Williams. People talk about Robert Williams like he's <laughs> I don't know, like he's your friend who you all go out at night well, with, I mean, and, he, he's and he's another, gonna he's gonna do something dumb, but it's gonna just, be kind of an adventure, and you're gonna have fun with it. I don't know. I, just, I, I just, I'm all in. Just, I mean, he's played 110 games in three years. I mean, that's the thing, right? He just has not been able to stay on the court. And if he could stay healthy and play 25, 30 minutes a game like he is right now, he he's just a really interesting player. So, like, between him and Al Horford, um, and then they've got all these wings, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, um, even their bench players, guys like Romeo Langford and Josh Richardson. Like, they got a bunch of long, athletic guys. I think they've got a chance to be a top-five defense. I think the thing that will determine – how good they're going to be is are they going to be able to score? And, you know, when you've seen them struggle, they just go through these stretches where they just don't, you know, they're kind of have, they're kind of relying on making jump shots. They don't have guys who really get to the, to the free throw line. Jason Tatum is still not a guy who has taken that final step and is getting to the line seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times a game. He's still more like a five through through a free throw a game guy, um, which until he changes that is probably going to prevent him from being like a true threat to lead the league in scoring, which he's probably capable of um, otherwise. So, yeah, I mean, look, I they're an interesting team, but I, I, I'm i with you. I don't really have any sense of what to make of them yet because they're just sort of all um, – they're just sort of all over the map, and they've had guys in and out with COVID and injuries, and just hard to know where they stand. 
Maybe it's just a hold the fort situation. Like if you can be 500 after all this rigmarole and that's five and five, six and six, whatever it is. And they're two and two. Now they snuck that one out last night, but you're right. I mean, the things that are in, I was high on the Celtics. Um, I, I, I thought they were, I I picked the Hawks were my number three in the East team, but I had the Celtics in that three, four, five, six tier firmly, like more firmly than a lot of people did. Haven't loved what I've seen so far. And the thing that's just endemic to this team year after year is, like you said, they don't get to the rim. They're 28th in shots at the rim. They don't get to the free throw line. And, like, at some point, if they're going to take another step, that's got to change. They're taking a ton of threes. I think they have the second highest three-point rate in the league. They've just got to get some easier points. And I I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, Well, the answer to that is Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum start getting to the line more, right? Like, they just don't – when you look at their their usage – you would like those guys to both be shooting more free throws than they do, and they just, they just have not really but then gotten you, you look ahead at, in you that look area. You look at games like last night, and you're like, "How can I ask anything more of these guys? They're single-handedly right. carrying this offense." Where the no, point and they're guard is- yeah, they're awesome. I mean, they're they've been awesome players, but you know, I mean, they they that's just the thing. They don't have they don't have other guys that are really going to create. Dennis Schroeder, that's the other thing. Dennis Schroeder has been terrible so far. Um, he he, I'm sure will start making some shots, but. You were watching that game last night. He got a ton of wide-open looks in that game and missed all of them, it felt like. I don't know what his final line was, but um, but he's got to get better too. But, yeah, look, I, I think they're going to guard. It's just, you know, they're probably going to be a team somewhere in the middle of the pack in the East and, you know, could be third, could be sixth. But I, I think you're I think you're having the right tier. That's right. Now, I remember, they were I, – I also was very high on them defensively. I thought they could be a top five to eight defense this year. I was – hoping for a Josh Richardson bounce back that hasn't quite happened yet. Um, but remember, they were bad defensively last year. That was their undoing. Like a team that was on paper supposed to be a really good defensive team was not good. And so, well, well, yes. I remember, it, too, they were playing a lot of bad players last they year. They were playing bad players. Lot. They were decimated by COVID. They trade for Fournier. He immediately gets COVID. You know, I get it. It's, but that was their undoing last year. So I'm not alarmed by their bad start defensively. It's it's super early. Horford has actually looked pretty good. Um Yes, he's looked very good when he's been out there. Not sure I believe in the Horford-Time Lord combination offensively, but I I do think it's worth trying and seeing how it works. Defensively, it's been a monster. Well, and what's Um, interesting about that, Zach, is I think Ime Udoka, even though it's early, he's pretty clearly shown he wants to play small. But the problem with this team is they don't have a four, right? Like a stretch four, really. Um well, I that's think they of, would. I think they would say Jalen Brown is going to have to be our stretch. Uh, yeah, forward. but that's the thing. Like, I think ideally they would have a Jay Crowder type. I, I say everybody wants a Jay Crowder type player, but like, if, if like a better version of Watcher Hernan Gomez, like Grant Williams has a chance to maybe. I was going to say. He's been off to a good start. You know, it's who's hitting a, his threes. You know, who's hitting well, his threes. And he's lost a bunch of weight. He's looked. He looks more athletic. And um, he had a really good game in the opener against the Knicks when he started. And I don't think it was a coincidence that he started next to Robert Williams without Horford out. I, I think that, you know, he is the, he's got a chance to be that kind of guy, but they're just short that 3-4 guy on the wing. They just don't have a – like even all the guys they brought in, Josh Richardson and Dennis Schroeder and, you know, Peyton Pritchard plays, they're all ones and twos, right? They just – they had the same issue last year. Gordon Hayward left, and he didn't really add a guy that was a 3-4, and they still haven't added one. And I think that's the thing you've kind of seen through these games, and I think that's why – Al is going to start um, at with Robert because the two of them can both pass. It gets some more creation on the court too. But I think he may would prefer at least the early indications are he likes to play small. And so it's going to be interesting to see down the end of games when they're in close games, whether he'll have both those guys out there or whether he'll have, you know, one of them out there with a guy like Schroeder or somebody else. I think ideally they'd like to have one and depending on the matchup. That's my and, and, that's my thought. It'll be Schroeder and then probably Al, I would guess, but one of those guys. Yeah, I I don't know. Might depend on the keep... matchup, too. It's going to be interesting. I mean, they got a lot of interchangeable guys, so, I mean, it's going to take th- a while to figure them out. I think you, you and I had them pegged similarly in terms of assume the defense is good. Offense, can they get to 10th? Are they going to be 15th? Are they going to just be eh? And, and, and maybe yeah, and right, that'll but... determine whether they're 3rd or 5th or 7th, right? That's kind of what I think that's kind of what it'll be ultimately. Uh, let's move on to the Brooklyn Nets, who are two and two after a get well win uh, last night against the Wizards at home. Uh, that was yes. kind of a blowout. Wizards sniffed around, making it somewhat interesting, whatever. The Nets are 21st in offense and 20th in defense. Again, they have guys in and out of the lineup. Obviously, they have one guy. 
uh, who's out of the lineup. <laughs> um, yes. And uh, whereabouts uh, for me unknown. Um, and they've held guys out for rest and this and that. Um, it just it hasn't it hasn't been pretty. Other than KD, who looks just I mean the shots he's making are it's so easy for him that it's unfair. Um, yep. It hasn't been pretty. It hasn't been easy. And I think the early tendency is to pin it all on Harden, who is averaging like 18 a game on bad shooting, and and Not they are the they're minus 30 for the season with Harden on the floor and plus 10 with him off the floor. As you said, he's not getting to the line. Everyone's already drawing the the line from the new free throw, the new foul rules to James Harden being not as good. Um, I think there's more going on than just that, but I'm interested um, in your take on on both Harden and the Nets so far. Can I do a quick aside on the on the foul stuff? Sure. Before I start, uh, I'm curious for your opinion on the rule changes, but I think they've been awesome. I think the games have been better. Uh, we now need to get rid of Euro fouls. This is getting well, out of control. You know, I, I honestly, fouls. I can't. I can't. The NBA, the NBA is already tired of me yelling about it. It's me I'm gonna, and well, Jeff then me, Van Gundy. Then let me. Then let me do it. I was watching this Cavs and Nuggets game this morning. There were 27 Euro fouls in this game. It's it's unbelievable. They're everywhere now in these games. They need to, they need to go away. They've all these other changes have been awesome. I I don't know if you agree or not. I think the games are more watchable. They're not calling these BS like fling yourself into guy fouls anymore. It's great. Guys have stopped really doing it already. I think it's been really, really good for the product. Now we need to get rid of these. Let's stop a fast break by grabbing a guy 90 feet from the basket. Next step. Monty McCutcheon, that's your, well, that's they, your no, next I've job. Been, but I don't understand. Well, the thing that drives me crazy is I've been yelling about this for 10 years. And they already changed the rule in the G League to, to try to eliminate them or at least make the punishment harsher. It's like you already did it. What's, I just do I, it. Why, just this do isn't it. like this isn't like the one free throw for all the points thing in the G League, no. which is kind of a radical. It's not the Elam ending. Just no. change the rule because That's all right. of it turns out that basketball is more fun when there's <laughs> basketball. That's right. It's believe and, it or not, not, it's better when guys can run up and down the court and not just be grabbed to stop. It seems like and it's not better, the though. clothesline from hell to stop a fast break. I just, so, yes. any, anyway, I don't even know. I wasn't what the trying hell to we get, to, I wasn't trying, I got you. I'm going to bring it back. I just wanted to make that comment because A, I knew you would agree, and B, I wanted it on the record that we need to get rid but of these real fouls. I feel helpless now. Why are we still yelling about this? Is anybody well, listening? Is I, anyone in NBA headquarters listening to the I, chorus of people who hate this? I'm encouraged. You know, you know what part of the problem is? You know what part of the problem is? What's By that? the way, and I've heard this from people on the competition committee and around the competition committee. The smart players like it because yes. they get to show how smart they are. Yeah. And I am completely sympathetic to that because the, we all know who the most clever players are. Yes. And they love nothing more than to show off the fact that they're outsmarting yes. the game. And That's they right. are often the ones who speak up in favor of the Euro foul, which That's right. sucks. That's right. But you know what? I said it because I'm really excited about the changes that have already been put in place. And the game I'm in a bad a mood better. now, Tim. I'm in a bad mood. Well, we're now going to get back to the Nets, uh, which is what you asked me about initially. And uh, Oh, good. Can we talk about vaccinations and epidemiology? Because that'll cheer me right the hell up. We could, we could talk about the protests on Sunday, but we'll skip by that too. Nope, uh, we're not talking about that. We're moving <laughs> right along. Uh, the Nets are acting like this is still preseason. Uh, that is my takeaway from four games. Uh you know, that's pretty much what Steve Nash has said publicly. Uh, if you look at the rotations he's been playing, uh, they're, you know, and I saw the Nets on Friday in Philly when they played the Sixers and, uh, you know, they're doing stuff that they're not going to do in games that matter. Um, they're playing multiple bigs together. They're playing, you know, Bruce Brown barely played early on. I think he'll play when the games matter. Uh, they're clearly experimenting and trying stuff. And, and I think, you know, look, I don't think the Nets are all that. I think the Nets are kind of like where the Cavs were with LeBron, right? Where, if they're the second seed or the third seed or the fifth seed, I don't think they're going to particularly be concerned if they got to go play, uh, you know, road games in Atlanta or Milwaukee or Miami or wherever. I think they think they're going to be fine if their guys are healthy when they get to the playoffs. So I think they're going to spend the next four, four or five or six months tinkering around and trying stuff. And um, when we get to the playoffs, we'll see what they look like. But I, I don't, they, they have seemed sort of uh, agnostic about the, this start, I think I I'm not taking a lot away from it. Other than that, Patty Mills looks really good, um, and I think is going to be a very nice fit for them at least in the regular season. But otherwise, James Harden's going to be fine. The Nets are going to be fine. 
they're not really that interested in winning games right now. I I don't think it's I don't think a two and two start is that big a deal. Were you a uh, like a peak Simpsons fan? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm like a you know know the encyclopedia by heart, but I watched a bunch of The Simpsons when I was a kid. One of the one of the recurring jokes that became beloved among peak Simpsons fans is whenever someone would like take something out of somebody's hands or steal something, they'd, yoink yoink. <laughs> Patty Mills had. That. Patty Mills had the best yoink of the year last night. <laughs> Bradley Beal got a defensive rebound, and Patty Mills was standing right behind him. And I don't think Bradley Beal realized he was right under the rim. And, like, in one motion, so fast that if you blinked and you missed it, Patty Mills just took the ball out of his hands and laid the ball in the basket. It was so fast. It was through the basket yep. in, like, half a second. It was like Muhammad Ali's phantom punch. It was too fast. <laughs> was it all? And, and then Patty Mills flexed. The Wizards called a timeout. And Bradley Beal stood there like, what in the hell just happened? That guy scored? I don't understand. Anyway, Patty Mills looks incredible. Um, look, I agree with you about the Nets. Like, if Bruce if Bruce Brown, Javon Carter, and Paul Millsap, or Bruce Brown, James Johnson, and Paul Millsap are all playing together in meaningful playoff games, there, something bad Something's wrong. has happened. Yeah. Yeah. But I will say, the one thing I said before the season, the one caveat I had, and I said it to Sarah Kustak, the great Sarah Kustak, when I had her on, is... All of these sexy, exciting minimum free agents they got yes. are big. They're yes. big. The yes, team skews big. Yes, they and do. And all of their extra perimeter players, with the exception maybe of Patty Mills, are potentially just one-way players, depending on the alignment. Patty Mills. Patty Mills is a one-way player. I mean, he's, Patty Mills is Patty Mills is a great play, a great a bench spark plug, but he's not. You don't want him guarding guys in critical playoff moments. There was a Spurs game a couple years ago, maybe it was even last season, when they put him on Kawhi Leonard for like an extended stretch, and he actually did okay. And I really think it was Pop just messing with Kawhi. Like, oh, the old JJ, the old JJ Barrea LeBron thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he's he's tough at least. But yeah, like... I mean, he's, Brown, not, he's not awful, but he's not a guy... He's not a two-way player, right? I mean, he's a, he's a good... He's a really good six-man point guard scorer off the bench, you know? Bruce Brown is has stopped really shooting threes all that often, and so he's become this roving center thing, which only right. works if he's the only non-shooter on the floor uh, for yes. the most part. Oh, and and, oh one a- other thing, one other thing to mention: Blake Griffin has looked very creaky early in the year, and that is something I think worth monitoring because, um, like, it kind of got forgotten because of how that Buck series went. But against the Celtics in the first round last year, he was just a traffic cone, and um. I do wonder what he's going to look like. And remember, I mean, he was playing a very big role for that team last year. Um, you know, and if they're playing Giannis, like Giannis sort of figured him out by the end of that series, but like they don't have a lot of options to guard Giannis and it might be Blake again. So I, I think that's something, that's one thing I am kind of curious about from this start is that he has not looked very good. I, I, I'll give him some time to ease into the season, but back to their sort of perimeter rotation without Kyrie. Javon Carter has weirdly become this barometer for me. People treat Javon Carter defense. You saw the Wizards. The Wizards were not even 15 feet within Javon Carter last night. He shot 38% from three or 40% from three on like decent volume last year. If he doesn't make shots, I, I think Brooklyn has more to figure out than I thought because then your perimeter, like your perimeter rotation around Durant in terms of guys that can give you enough offense are Patty, Joe Harris, and Harden. And, and everyone else is sort of like hit or miss depending on the alignment of the floor. They miss Kyrie a little bit more than I thought they would. Before yeah. the season, yeah. when he when he when they banished him, I said, I think they're still co-favorites to win the title at worst. Maybe I would a little bit over Milwaukee. I, I'm already to downgrade that and say that at Milwaukee, I would have Milwaukee's three and one. They have, they're not even playing half their team. Like they're playing this Mamu guy off the bench, and Thanasis has started last night and uh all sorts of ran. They're just chugging right along. I think Milwaukee is is at least even with this Nets team right now. Yep, I agree. Um, and and Kyrie, you know, the thing I mentioned about Hayward being like a connector for the Hornets, it's it's insulting to say that about Kyrie because he's one of the greatest one-on-one scorers of all time and was a 50-40-90 player last year. But he leaned into the, I don't have the ball as much anymore. So I'm going to – he became like kind of a good cutter who would lurk around the baseline, touch passes yep. to Joe Harris, and like he would be that kind of connector when the Nets needed him to be. And it made their offense go from 
all-time great to like this is a video game and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Um, and I think their offense has looked, even with Harden and Durant on the floor, it's looked a little clunky and a little aimless. Like there are possessions where they'll just be one pass and they'll be, you know what, Patty Mills, you take a pull up too. Blake, you take a fading eye. So like there's just not right. a lot going on. And they miss Kyrie's like the, the energy current of Kyrie running in the background. They miss that. Well, they don't have very many shot creators on their team, right? They're sort of like the Celtics in that, like how many real shot, like shot creators do the Celtics have? They really have two, right? We got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Now, obviously, James Harden and Kevin Durant are a better version of that. But you go through the rest of these guys on, and I, by shot creators, I mean guys who could create shots for themselves and other people, right? Um, you you look at the, the look at the Nets. Blake Griffin's a good passer at this point, but he's not making plays for other guys. Patty Mills is not really that kind of guy. He's a shooter, right? Joe Harris is a shooter. Um, you know, they have LaMarcus Aldridge is a shooter. Like, they have all these guys that are are effective offensive weapons, but are not guys that are going to, like, break down the defense and make plays for other guys. And if you only have, you know, even Kevin Durant, for as great as he is, that's not really, like, he gets a bunch of assists, but that's not really what he does. He's a sniper. Um, so when James Harden is really the one guy who's running offense and setting plays up for guys, it if he's a little off, all of a sudden your offense looks kind of clunky, right? And that's I, I will sort, say sort of I where it's don't at. think it's just the foul rules for him. His burst just isn't quite there yet, and I think he even talked about how he's he's still he said working he's still his coming way back. back from the hand. Like I mean, he spent a lot of the off season not really doing a lot of stuff from as far as I could tell because of that hamstring injury from the playoffs. So you know I. I'm sure that's part of it. I, I'm sure he's going to be fine. I don't think he's, I certainly don't think that he's in any kind of danger of falling off a cliff or something as a player, but, but yeah, it all just goes back to, they really are acting like this is the preseason. And I, you know, I sort of wondered coming into the season, like I saw their over under and people like, Oh man, they're going to win 60, 65 games. I just always sort of wondered if they were going to have it on cruise control for 82 games and get to the playoffs. Um, and I think ultimately that might be what we're looking at. Harden is dribbling kind of into guys that a lot of times he would get a step on and just sort of like he dribbles into them, there's contact, and he's not getting calls. These are guys he would blow by uh, previously. And he had a few blow bys last night, but I was like, oh, it's Davis Bertanz. It's not, not that I'm right. not that. I mean, like, Davis Bertanz is a good, good player. He's not a good defensive player. Like, James Harden should blow by. Davis Bertans. I'm betting that he he looked a little bit more explosive last night than he did the previous night than he did the previous night. So I'm betting it sure, will all come back. It'll all come back. But he needs they need him to be free throws. The free throws are one thing. He just doesn't look the same. Like even his passes. Part of the reason the offense is settling a little bit on a lot of non Durant shots are, you know, Harden would would draw so much attention and be such a threat that if he passed to you. It meant you had a dunker, a wide open three. Now yep. he's passing to guys, and they don't have as much of an advantage as they used to because he hasn't opened as much of an advantage for them. It's it's just it's just something to watch. Let's go north of the border real fast, only because I talk, I watched them last night uh, and talk about the Raptors, a sure. team that is is a, a I have a soft spot for the Great White North. I can't wait to get back there. Uh, they're back in their home arena. Scotty Barnes. Great Scotty Barnes has exceeded the hype. They are 24th in offense, seventh in defense. Yep. Um, I had this team in the tier below the Charlotte, New York, Chicago teams with within a tier with the Wizards and the Pacers. Uh, I I feel good about that. Three games in, I thought the Raptors would be a bad offensive team, even with Siakam and a really good defensive team, and probably be. Eh, overall, I, I feel pretty good about that. What have you noticed? Uh, yeah, they've been exactly as advertised. They're awesome on defense. They're not awesome on offense. And they are the team I am watching maybe more than anybody in the league, sans the Ben Simmons division, uh, in terms of are, is there a chance for them to make a significant trade this season? Because you look at where they're at, you look at Fred Van Vliet, you look at Pascal Siakam, they clearly are going in a bit of a different direction. They've got Scotty Barnes, who they're very excited about, who looks really good. Um, they've got OG Ananobi, who is young, and they're excited about him. And you look at where Fred is in his career. You look where Pascal's at in his career. And in a market where, as you said, everybody's trying to win, it would be an interesting time to zag and maybe put those guys on the market and see what you can get. So if the Raptors are 
11th or 12th in February, that's something I'm paying attention to is, are they a team that, um, are they a team that potentially looks to make a move or moves like that and reset their team? And that's the thing as much as I'm, as much as I'm curious to watch Scotty Barnes and see if OG and Obi can take a step. If the Raptors struggle and aren't really in the playoff race, I think they could potentially be a real significant team in terms of the trade market because there's not a lot of guys like Fred or Pascal that could be available this year. And if one of them gets put on the market, they could really be a swing piece for somebody if they get a deal done. So Van Vliet has 19.7 this year, 21.25 million next year, player option for 22.8 the year after that. Siakam has 33, 35, 38. That's tough. Um, I don't know what they get combining those guys or trading one of them individually. I don't think the return would be as fantastic as Toronto fans would hope it would be. A lot of their season trajectory depends to me on when does Siakam come back and how fast does he look like himself because they just need a little more juice offensively. I think they could play him at center, or I guess Anunoby yes. would, guard, would guard centers a lot in that alignment. And and Birch has been really nice for them, and Precious Achua has been solid for them. But I, I think that's a lineup card Nick Nurse would play and actually leans in to some of the strengths of their team, especially, especially if Barnes is as ready for major minutes as he looks. Um so I guess that we'll just we'll just have to see, but they they are they're fun as hell to watch on defense. I mean they fly around, they switch, they're just they they play lots of interesting matchups like Van Vliet on Levine as sort of a chaser. I thought that yep. was fun fun to watch last night. Barnes they're using everywhere. Um, I he looks he looks really good. He's very patient. That's the thing I like about Scotty Barnes. He's not frenetic on offense with the ball. He's patient. He doesn't get rushed. He takes his time. He makes like calm decisive plays I'm a, I'm a big fan so far he reminds me a lot of Andre Godala just at like 610 uh including his uh, sometimes unwillingness to be a shooter on offense so I think that's the next step for him is to be a little more aggressive in terms of shooting the ball but he he's a big long interesting kid who can do a lot of stuff and you know Nick Nurse is always open to trying new things and trying creative stuff and he's got a lot of he's got a quirky weird team um so I think they're going to try a lot of weird stuff and I do think they've got a chance to be pretty good. Like if Pascal can get back on the court here soon, which it seems like he's trending in that direction. Um, I think you've got a chance to be in the play in mix or, um, you know, maybe even squeak above that. Probably not. But like, I think they could easily be seven to 10 and be a tough, tough out in the play in tournament. Um, if they go that direction for the rest of the season. But yeah, I'm just in a market where there aren't a lot of difference making players available. Um, you know, we just saw Malcolm Brogdon get extended, right? Like he's not getting traded somewhere. Um, you know, if, if if one or both of those guys could put on the market, they could they could potentially be a huge piece for a contending team trying to get better this year. So, you know, outside of Barnes, that's probably the thing that I'm most paying attention to is just where they're at and if it influences what they're going to do. Well, and they're in that same tier. I had them with the Wizards and the Pacers. And to me, it's those are teams that because of injury related absences, T.J. Warren and Karis LeVert in Indiana and um in Washington, Rui Hachimura hasn't played yet. I just no. it's too it's too early for me to really feel strongly about them either way, except that I, I you know, I, I don't think they're gonna exceed or fall below what the general expectations were. I mean the Wizards are two and one. They got off to a good start. I guess we'll see. Um the Pacers Weird are start for Indi- weird start for Indiana yeah. too. They had two games go to overtime, the first two games. They could have won them both by three and one and said they lose them both, they're all one and three, you know. The a, defense, their defense has been terrible, and Miles Turner's had the weirdest season of any NBA player so far. He had one forty-point game and three single-digit games, two of which he didn't really play down the stretch. Kind let's of sums up the Miles Turner experience. Let's just say I'm watching that one closely. I'm watching that one closely because we've been watching this double center thing with Sabonis and Turner now for four years. We keep yep. waiting for another shoe to drop. It doesn't drop. Now they have a new coach. I I just. One of the reasons that I was a little worried about Indiana this year was, and I had them in that that tier below Pacers, where Pacers fans would hope to see them. And again, I'm wrong about the, I'm wrong about the Pacers every year. I'm like the kiss of death, or I'm the kiss of life for the Pacers. Every time I'm low on them, they exceed my right. expectations. So, like my opinion right. is clearly worthless. Right. But there were the injuries to two of their starters, and I I just I just get this feeling, like. This something is just kind of not great. Not not. I don't. Something is just going to change with this well, mix. Yeah, they're mid, like midstream. And, they're and like Toronto I, too, right? They're like Toronto, where like you said, they've got Miles Turner, they've got Demonis Sabonis, they've got 
T.J. Warren if he gets healthy. They've got Karis Le- Like They've got a bunch of guys that are interesting pieces that if they decide to go in a different direction, they could get some stuff for, right? If they do I, decide I guess, to course correct. So I guess that's a good way to put it. Like Charlotte, I feel like, has a unifying direction. Yes. Chicago has a unifying direction. New York has a unifying direction. Yes. Indiana, I'm like, what? what is this? Like right. All these players are good. But like, what is it? What's go- what's going on? And so yes. I don't know. That's where I am with the Pacers. Yeah, I'm well, same same place. Same place for me. You've got Philly, who we didn't talk about because we've all talked about them enough. Philly Knicks tonight is the only Eastern Conference uh, game on the schedule. All the other eight teams in action are Western Conference games. That's a oh, I didn't fun. That's a fun match. Yeah, Golden State uh, is playing at Oklahoma City, so you can chalk up a W for the Warriors. <laughs> they'll be they'll be four and zero. And yes. uh, Lakers Spurs in a battle of uh, historic juggernauts that are both one and two. And then the national TV game tonight on TNT is Denver Utah, which is quite interesting. It's going to be a fun year in the East, man. We didn't really talk about the they, we didn't talk about the Heat at all, who have only played three games, and one of them was against half the Bucks, and another one was against the Magic. So it's like take take it for what it's worth. Right. Uh, I, I like that team. Tyler Hero looks good. There's just a lot of interesting teams here. It's going to be fun going to be super fun and it was great to be i was at the garden last week for celtics knicks which may end up being the game of the year uh, even though it was the first game of the season and uh it's it's great to be at the garden um with a good team again and the fans into it and uh it was great to go to road shoe around this morning and see the sixers and actually be able to speak to people in person uh it's a nice change so yeah it's, uh things are things are looking up on all fronts it's it's good to be back in the swing of things and like we said on the pod a few weeks ago i mean the East is just loaded with interesting stuff to talk about. It's not, it's not like the Eastern Conference of you know, a large your, stretch of this of millennium. Your, the Eastern Conference. Well, yes. Of your. I mean, this there's been five or six teams every year. You just didn't really have much interest in in the East. And this year, that's not the case. Even the bad teams, you know, have Evan Mobley and Kate Cunningham and Jalen Suggs to watch. So I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff going on. It's fun. Tim Bontemps, uh, you're always writing about these games, writing interesting features involved in our five-on-fives. It's good to see you. We will surely cross paths soon. Um, I will be at one of the New York arenas pretty soon. Uh, Good to see you as always. Keep up the great work. Appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me.